Welcome, welcome, welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us here on the program. Our program today uh, is uh, a program I think you're going to enjoy. It makes a lot of sense to me. I've dealt with these different concepts and trying to understand the world in which we live. And I think that the lyrics of this song... Uh, best epitomize what we're going to be talking about. This is not the title that we're going to be talking about, but it epitomizes the title. And it goes something like, no, actually it goes exactly like this. Is that all there is? Is that all there is? Is that all there is, my friend? Then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball. If that is all there is. Yes, that's it. That's all there is. There is nothing more. Let's all go home and uh, sequester ourselves once again for the next 40 years. Jennifer Kaufman, she is uh, the producer of a movie. No, the movie is not called Is That All There Is? The movie is actually entitled, and I have watched it, There's Got to Be More to Life. Jennifer... <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have some fun with this program. Jennifer, thank you for joining us, I think. I hope you're glad you're here. I am super glad to be here with you, Richard. It's so much fun. And I didn't know that you sang. Had uh, I known? Well, what did you bring back up or something? I'm, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm open for anything, really. I, I've, I'm, I've always said I will try something once and sometimes twice. Um, uh, and if I like it, I'll keep going. And if I don't, then I will have tried it twice and said I don't like it. But I'm not going to sit there going, I don't like it, if I've never tried it. You know, that always perplexed me about little kids and vegetables. You know, have you ever tried a Brussels sprout? No, but I don't like them. But how do you know that you don't like them if you've never tried them? Did you like going down the slide? Yeah, I did. How did you know you would like it going down the slide? Because you'd never done it before. I mean, I mean, this is the perplexing issue. But from, <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. But what I will tell you is, there is more to this life. And the movie, there's got to be more to life, which is now showing, having to do uh, with transforming through trauma from surviving to thriving. Oh, you have stolen, but I... I don't care. I'm glad you have stolen the phrase that I use always on this program, that we want to move. My phrase actually goes like this, Jennifer. Moving from survival to thrival. I will say, I thought I invented the word until I looked it up in Webster's, and it turns out it is a legitimate word, thrival. Tell me about this concept, because there's one element that I was watching in the movie that I thought was so fascinating, and I'm not going to give any spoilers because I don't think there are any spoilers to give. I think you just need to see it, and it'll open up your uh, open up your processes, your thought processes. And that was the statement, and I can't remember who made it, that trauma is a gift. But before you jump into trauma is a gift, let's not forget it. You're obviously asking that very question. There's got to be more to life to have created this documentary. Yes. You know, 
That was my question. I am a survivor of the 2013 Boston Marathon bombings. I had childhood trauma and um, some early adulthood trauma. And I pondered this question. Is this, there's gotta be more to life. I don't understand. Um, And as a kid growing up, you know, I had, you know, having been raised both Catholic and Protestant and in the church, I was like, why is it that you have to die to experience heaven? I never quite understood that. And so for me, I've been on this curious journey, my life going, how do you create heaven on earth? And, you know, having gone through various, you know, various traumas, um, I didn't understand it to be candid in the beginning. I didn't understand why is this happening to me? And I think a lot of people, I think your viewers probably can relate to this, right? In my, in my experience, everyone has experienced some form of trauma in their life. And we've asked ourselves, why is this happening to us? You know, that kind of victimhood mentality, whether we know it or not. And, um, and I just got like, okay, there's, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be more to life. And, and it was in my journey of rising up from terrorism. And it took, it took several years to get this, but I'm like, what if trauma is a gift? It actually, it actually empowered me at that point in time. It, to be candid, one of my meditation teachers said to me about six months after the bombings, she said, one day you're going to see this as the greatest gift of your life. And I remember being angry. The greatest gift of your life. I'm like, this experience, you know, terrified me and it shattered me. Um, and, and it's supposed to be a gift. But there was something about what she said to me that day that just lingered. And it took a while later to realize, wait a minute here. What if this is happening for me rather than to me? What if this is here to help me grow and evolve and get me on my purpose, actually? And that's what I discovered it really did. Hmm. You have uttered the very phrases that I use on this program, almost every program, about looking for those new ways of living. Because the old ways don't work. Just look around you. They are not working. And things seem like they're getting worse. But you've also brought to mind that wonderful Chinese proverb or story, whatever you want to call it. You're probably familiar with the one I'm thinking of about the farmer and his son and the neighbor of the farmer and his son who comes over almost every day saying, hey, how are things going? And the farmer will tell him. And at the end of the story, the farmer's neighbor will say, oh, that's good or oh, that's bad. But the farmer's response is always, Who's to say whether it's good or bad? And that, to me, epitomizes what this person said to you about trauma being a gift. Who's to say whether that trauma is good or bad? Who's to say whether, and I would even rephrase it, although, again, I understand the definition of the word trauma. Who's to say that this challenge, it's a challenge. We all have challenges in our life, and we can pass judgment on them. I'm going through a, a challenge of my own right now in my own personal life. And i got to tell you, I'm pretty damn optimistic about it all. I have no expectations of the future, but I feel good about the future, whatever it holds, because it's different this time. It's much different, just as, if, just as when they uh, declared a pandemic and we decided in this country, let alone around the world, to shut things down. We had never done that before. Never. Not in my lifetime anyway. 
at yet every other time that there's been some, I mean, when SARS and many of these other things started to go around the world, what did we do? Nothing. They tried to come up with a vaccine. I guess they have and all of that stuff. But that was the solution. We'll come up with a vaccine, but we're not going to shut things down. And this time we said, we're going to shut things down. And people, of course, didn't like it, but it was something different. And Einstein said it. The, the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Guess what? We're not insane. Might be a little crazy. But we're going to do something different. And it's going to be different when we come out the other side. We don't know what it's going to be, but it certainly is going to be different. And to me, that's exciting. And the other aspect of it was what opportunities that we don't even see yet that are going to come to us. And this is what's happened with you. Uh, you know, in spite of or because of uh, the, 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 the bombing, the, marathon, the Boston Marathon bombing, uh, which was, f- from one observation, horrific. Just, it was terrible. Uh, you know, I could not believe that something like that, let alone, of course, 20 years ago, 9-11, could ever happen in our own country. Um, and yet, you know, uh, there seems to be a breeding in our own country going on of these people. But we, you and I, say, you know what? We don't have to live this way. Now, I'm curious about something, and I want to get into the movie, too, and, of course, all of the various participants, uh, famous and infamous and not so famous or infamous. But um, when you, you still live in Boston? I do. And do you still travel the route of the mar- of the marathon that you were in? I do. And how do you feel? Do you feel, do you still feel fear? Uh, no. Do you feel fear or anxiety or anything of this nature? No, not anymore, I don't. And that's extraordinary because a lot of people would have trouble going through that space where they experienced the trauma, like going back to the house where they experienced the abuse that they did or the workplace. I mean, I still remember my workplace back in Phoenix where I was working in an extremely hostile work environment. The general manager treated me as if I just killed his best friend and wouldn't talk to me. And I didn't find out until after I left why. Uh, but it's like it didn't make any difference. It's like, what the hell? You know? So um, what about the people involved? Now, not just the others who were injured, but the perpetrators. I'm not asking specifically of those individuals, but have you made peace with the actions of others in that regard? I have. It, it was not easy, and it took me years to do it, but I have at this point. What, the, what was the process that you went through? So for me, um, the first year was all about facing my terror and facing my fears. It's why, so I was a spectator that day. It was my very first, so even though I've been born and raised just outside of Boston, I went to university in Boston. I worked in Boston for years. I had never been to the marathon. And so I was a spectator this year um, with a dear friend of mine. Her son was running for the first time. And so, you know, that first year was all about facing my terror and facing my fears. And so, you know, they'd say, when you fall off the horse, what do they tell you to do? It's to get back up on the horse. Mm-hmm. It was not easy at yeah. all. And I still, I know survivors today that have yet to go back to the marathon yeah. because they're afraid. And I get it. I was there too. Mm-hmm. And so year one, you know, I went back and I walked as far as I could. Um, I, you know, 
I had sustained quite a few injuries, one of which is I couldn't walk normal for the first five months. So the fact that I was able to walk nine miles in the first year of the marathon was huge a year later. So the first year was all about facing my fears, facing terror. Honestly, I thought, you know, great, you know, I'm pivoting. Life is going to be good again, right? Well, no, actually, what ended up happening was I had the next layer, which was rage. I had to deal with my rage, right? And so the trial had started at the, in the next year. You know, I'm starting to realize the, the real impact it's had on my life. I mean, literally everything from financial, physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, all of it. And, and I remember being asked to prepare a victim impact statement. And, um, and I struggled with that, actually. It took me several months to write it. And, and in that process, I really got how rageful I was. I mean, it was anger exponential. And there was this one particular moment that I want to share, which is I was leaving a survivor's group meeting in one of the local hospitals in Boston. Given, you know, given that I'm born and raised inside of Boston, you know, we cut people off. It's normal, right? And when you're from there, you don't think anything of it. And so this particular night I was heading home and a truck cut me off. And I instantly went into road rage, instantly. And fortunately, the driver made the light. I did not. And when the light turned red and I stopped my car, I started to sob. Who is this person? And I realized in that moment that a terrorist lived inside of me. Wow. And if I acted on my rage and anger, I'd be no different than them. And that frankly horrified me. And so I went on this journey of like, I need to learn how to heal that rage and anger. The other thing that was happening at this time was I had made progress in my healing journey, but every time I had a rageful bout, I would have a setback and I'd get more upset that I was, you know, that I would have these setbacks, right? So I was perpetuating my own rage and I've realized I'm drinking my own poison, wishing that it was, you know, wishing it was inflicting harm on those two young men who placed the bombs. Well, that's not how it works. And so I was like, okay, there's got to be like Einstein said, right? Like, you know, the same thinking that got into the situation, you've got to change your thinking. And so I had to rethink about how I was handling the situation. And I had to treat myself with compassion and recognize I was going through a really challenging time. And I had to ask myself, how would I treat someone else that was going through this? And I would basically, whatever answer I came up with, that's what I would give to myself. And so I went on this journey of like really loving myself um, and having compassion for myself. And it was during that journey that gave me the courage, albeit it took some time to forgive them. Now, I'll be honest. I was like, how could I ever forgive them? Life as I knew it was over because of this experience. And so for me, it was like forgiving the unforgivable. How do you do that? How do you do that? Mm. But I recognized every moment of every day that I was holding on to that, I was a prisoner to that experience. And I didn't want to spend the rest of my life imprisoned to that experience. And for me, what I found was forgiveness was my get out of jail card. 
if you will, right? It was, it was my freedom mm. and it had nothing to do with them. And that was, that's what our mind tells us, right? Like, how could we, you know, if I forgive them, then I'm silently telling them it's okay. Well, it's not okay. But really what forgiveness does is it breaks the chains and sets us free. And when that happened, the rage that I felt inside of me began to dissolve. And I had, I was just overwhelmed with peace. Hmm. And for the very first time, Richard, I had compassion for those two young men who I hated and despised and frankly would silently contemplate how it would take their lives. Hmm. You're listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, and we are in conversation with Jennifer Kaufman. She is, and she's got a multiplicity of roles in this film entitled, There's Got to Be More to Life, Transforming Through Trauma, uh, from, um, from Surviving to Thriving. She is not only... Uh, a, a, a screenwriter for this movie and a music editor. She is also one of the experts, and rightly so, as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I want to tell you a little bit about Jennifer. Uh, as she's shared already with you, she is an award-winning results coach, best-selling author, inspirational speaker, executive producer of the Emmy Award-winning and uh, Telly Award-winning documentary, A New Leash on Life, The Canines for Warriors story back in 2018. In 2019, Jennifer was a part of the production team that produced the first ever one-man Broadway show called Dream Big, um, uh, uh, Rudy, uh, Rutgrid, Rutger, Rutger, Rudiger, Rudiger, beg your pardon, live, uh, Rudy Rudiger live on Broadway to a sold out audience. And Jennifer launched her, <coughs> launched her very own book, uh, Shattered in 2018, where she shares her personal story and in, and journey of healing naturally from the 2013 book. I can't believe it's been that long. 2013 Mar Boston Marathon bombing. And then in the 2017, in 2017, she received the, I can't believe they call it this, the Quilly Award for her contribution to J Jack Canfield, who is a Santa Barbara native, his best-selling book, Mastering the Art of Success. She was included in the National Academy of Experts, Writers, and Speakers in 2016. In 2011, Jennifer received the, I'm going to stop there because this just goes on and on and you are very accomplished. I don't want to slight you by any means, but you have done an awful lot. And one of the questions I would like to ask you is, how you perceive yourself as an expert and an expert in what may I ask in reference to the movie? Yeah. So I am an expert in, uh, in learning how to heal naturally. I'm an expert in, uh, how to rise up from trauma and I'm an expert in telling the truth about, you know, what I've perceived is, you know, we, we are often fed, you know, lies and misconceptions around trauma. And, and, and we, you know, we live in a society, there's a lot of struggle and a lot of strife and a lot of people that are barely surviving. 
And we're told like, this is the way. And, and I've come to understand it's not the way, you know, in that we all have the right and we have the God given ability to thrive in life, yeah. no matter what our circumstances is and no matter what we've been through. Yeah. You know, a uh, personal story on my end, uh, I got sucked into the presidential camp, uh, political melees or minutiae. Let me rephrase that into the political quagmire of 2016 in September. And I wanted nothing to do with it, period. And uh, when the man who won in 2016 won in 2017, and by the way, it took me six months to get unsucked from that, uh, I had to go through four phases myself. And the first one was the absolute hardest to verbalize. Thank you. Oh, and I didn't ever want to use this word with this person. Thank you, teacher, for teaching me how not to behave. The next phase I went through was, I forgive you. But more importantly, I forgive myself for allowing myself to get drawn into this quagmire. The third phase was from a strictly humanitarian perspective, acknowledging that this man deserved to be here on the planet and to live out his role. I said to, I, I would ask the question, what is it that you're so afraid of that makes you behave this way? Because bullies, which I was the target of in school, grade school and high school, um, they say they are more afraid than those being bullied. So what is it that you're afraid of that makes you behave this way? I'm not asking you to change. God, I'm not asking you to change. I want to understand so that I can put this behind me and move on with my life. And then one of my guests said there's a fourth phase. And this has to come from the heart. And those three words, and I don't know whether you've come to that place with these two individuals, but I actually have had and have said this. And, I, and in spite of everything, I'm able to say to this person, this gentleman, as a human being to human being, I love you. I love you. I have gotten to that stage, and I view those two young men as my soul brothers. I know that sometimes they say, have you had a chance to visit with them, to meet them, to say hello, to confront them, to, you know, in terms of bringing closure? Is that something that you feel is necessary in your life? Um, so I, um, so one of them has uh, passed away in the in the pursuit of capturing them. He he died in that pursuit. Um, so there's only one surviving that is imprisoned now. Um, and and I have attempted to uh, meet with him, but that is not an option at this time. Um, and I would, if given the option, I would sit before him. And um, and let me just say, I had an opportunity in court to speak my victim impact statement, which I did. And uh, he was there. So I had that brief moment with him there mm -hmm. um, amongst everyone else that was in the room uh, or in court that day. Um, but I have attempted to go see him in prison. That just hasn't been afforded to me at this time. But I would. Mm. 
Jennifer Kaufman's my guest. I'm Richard Dugan. This is Tell Me Your Story. New paradigms for a new world, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And uh, we are here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays at 9 a.m. with our special edition of Tell Me Your Story, streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. I'll give you the podcast and videocast information in just a few moments. Tell me about, um, I mean, you have a lot of people involved in this uh, in this picture, in this documentary, uh, and it's it's a wonderful not only cast that participates, but also the folks behind the scenes, uh, including yourself, although you're not just behind the scenes, you're in front of the camera as well. Um, how did you go about the process of picking those people, choosing and selecting those individuals who would actually uh, be, shall we say, interviewed for this the beautiful, beautiful documentary? They are actually mentors of mine, um, some of whom I work very closely with in learning how to heal naturally. Um, Eileen McCusick is actually, you know, one of my practitioners who I did, you know, biofield tuning sessions with. Uh, Christy Whitman and Christina Hill have been mentors of mine for the last year and a half. So these are, these are men and women that um, have played a role in my life in either direct helping me heal naturally and in, in uh, teaching me things about how to do that. Or um, they have been in, you know, I've been inspired by their work. For example, Dr. Bruce Lipton, I've been inspired by his work and what he talks about the biology of belief. And so I wanted to ask him, tell us more about this biology of belief and how we can shift our beliefs. And, and when we do so, we literally can create heaven on earth. And he talks about that in the film. And so we also wanted to take a scientific approach. We really want to bridge the gap between science and spirituality, right? And start to, to get people to understand there is a better way. I want to ask you about that. And and I, I, I it's sort of a loaded question, but I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna ask okay. it anyway. What is the better way? <laughs> whatever, whatever serves you best. Ooh, right. So that's the key. What I talk about in the film is my journey, and that's what happened to work for me. In no way am I saying it's a prescription for how other people should live their life. Here's the point. The point of why why I was so drawn to put this film together mm -hmm. was to literally inspire, encourage, and empower people to go find for themselves what works for them. I Too many times, Richard, I know people in the survivor community who have, you know, they're doing different things, but they're not seeing, you know, positive results. You know, in some cases, they've made marginal improvement, if any. In some cases, they've had setbacks. And it's like, why is that? Well, you know, if that's not working for you, try something else, go seek something else. So this is to, to open people's eyes and, you know, and hopefully, you know, increase their awareness of there are other alternatives out there. From a structural or infrastructural standpoint, how many hours of, of, of uh, video did you, did, did the editors have to go through and how long is this particular film? I realize that's not a real relevant aspect, but I know as an audio editor and uh, uh, now as a video editor myself with YouTube, uh, my YouTube channel, Tell Me Your Story, where people can watch these particular videos. Sometimes you got to go in and you got to clean stuff up. Uh, for the most part, I, I keep things pretty raw from that standpoint, trimming the front and the back ends. But for the most part... 
But sometimes, and it used to be that uh, when they were using literal film, actual film, there was a lot left on <clears throat> the, uh, the, the cutting room floor. Uh, in this case, it's just deleting digits, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, zeros and ones. But I'm curious as to how many hours you you ended with, and then how long the film ended up being anyway, because that ain't an easy process. It is not. So we've been blessed, honestly. We um, we have 60, over sixty hours of footage that was not planned; it just happened. You know, some of these interviews were so rich and so. You know, they were scheduled for 30 minutes, ended up being 60 to 90 minutes because the conversation was so rich. <laughs> so what we're doing is we're creating a series, actually. So this is the first of a series. Yeah. And we wanted this to be the foundational aspect of it. And some of the other concepts that we'll go into in the next film is more advanced and deeper. So mm. um, so it's so right now the film is, you know, just over 90 minutes long. It's, you know, about an hour and 40 minutes long. And, um, and that was not an easy process. In fact, when we went through the first round of editing, we got the film to a four hour segment. <laughs> wow. Like, four hours. Obviously, you know, who wants to watch that? Right. <laughs> um, yeah. and so, so it has been, you know, this, you know, labor of love <laughs> to, to get it to where it, where it is. And, as we got more refined, it was challenging. In fact, we're, you know, we're still refining what you, what you've seen is the director's cut. We felt strongly about releasing our target all along was to release on veterans day, November 11th, mm-hmm. um, for various reasons. Um, and we did that. It was not in the state we wanted it to be in for its final state, but you know, for those who have already purchased the film, you know, they're going to get a free copy of the next final cut when we release it uh, here in the next week. Mm. So, but uh, we're excited about it. Um, we're excited about the messages because there's so much, me- there's so much rich content in here that we feel strongly. And what's fascinating is each of these, you know, um, folks that speak, speak about their trauma because they've all had trauma too. We had, you know, one woman who lost her child, mm. you know, we have, uh, we have NFL players that, you know, were sexually assaulted and as children, and they talk about it in the film. I mean, we talk about rising up from trauma and how you can go about living your best life. Cause we want you to have that too. Mm. From surviving to thriving. The title of the documentary is there's got to be more to life. The website is movies Influencer. Now that's spelled I N F L U E N C R. I know it's not spelled correctly, but it's not supposed to be. That's the website. Dot M E. <laughs> and we will be linked to that website. So if you are interested in watching this movie, and I hope you are, I really do. This isn't about uh, trying to make a bunch of money for these folks, it's about opening your eyes to how we can transform through trauma, from surviving to thriving. And it's one of the biggest, I will call it, slogans that we, or phrases that we use here on this program. We want to move out of this survival mode. I've had enough. I'm 61 years old. I'm a young man, and I've had enough, enough surviving. It's time for us to thrive. 
Uh, and, uh, and I got to tell you that I still remember this back in 2000 during the campaign, the presidential campaign back then. Al Gore was running. And I remember watching a speech of his. And it wasn't that I was a fan. It just happened to be on TV. And he was talking about oh, all the great things we're going to do together as people and blah, da, 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 da. And then he said, and here's what the government's going to do for you. And I turned it off. And I said, I don't want the government to do anything for me because it's not about the government. I remember the phrase back in 19 in the 1980 campaign with Ronald Reagan. Uh, and uh, I remember the phrase that was used. Are you better off today than you were four years ago? And every year, every four years, I would answer that question. Yes, but it had nothing to do with you. Yes. It had everything to do with me. I did this. I did this. And if we don't take back our power, then in a manner of speaking, you can just you can kiss it all goodbye. Uh, There are those who kind of are very pessimistic right now and they think that it's already been kissed goodbye. I don't think so. I'm still optimistic about the future, now, whether my future is in the States or in California or if it's where I really, truly wish I was right now, Ireland. I love that country and its people. Been there twice. It was back in the two, early 2000s. Uh, and I want to live there. Uh, you know, so, <clears throat> you know, if there's a kidnapper out there who wants to kidnap me and take me to Ireland, I am, I'm ready to go. Uh, <laughs> um, just leave a note letting them know that uh, I will be kept safe and fed with, uh, with um, porridge <clears throat> and uh, uh, Irish whiskey, and it'll be good. It'll be good. I am very, <laughs> you know, I do tend to go off on tangents sometimes, and I'm curious, um, was it very difficult to stay on target with the, the film because it seems like it would be so easy to go off on so, in so many different directions. I mean, you've already said that you have enough film, enough uh, video, if you will, for maybe two or three more documentaries. Uh, and I'm curious as to the second film. It, will it be just part two? Well, uh, the second film, it will be part two of this. Um, mm-hmm. And... The working title is You Can't Make This Shit Up. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That is seriously the working title. That is seriously the working title. Let me explain to this, right? So we were told um, we could never produce a documentary in six months, that documentaries on average take 12 to 18 to 24 months to do. Don't you love it when people tell you what you can and can't do? Yes. It actually, it actually gives, it actually, it, it, it's like putting gasoline on a fire. It just stokes me actually. I'm like, okay, great. We're going to do it anyway. And so, but it was fascinating. So a classic example, we were supposed to start filming in Sedona, Arizona in June. Ah. All these things happened, you know, forest fires, they were, you know, all these different things that happened and um, we were told we couldn't go. And then, but something kept nudging saying, no, 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 just keep planning, keep going. You're going to, you're going to do this. Um, actually it was July, not June. And a week, a week and a half before we're ready to go, our cinematographer is ready booked to go. And he messages us and says, I can't make it. I have a family, I have a family issue and I can't come. Well, how are we going to film? So, you know, the, the, 
first notion was, oh my gosh, we're going to have to stop. We're going to have to reschedule. We had multiple people planned. It was just all lined up. And it was about trusting the universe, Uh trusting that there would be another option. (laughs) And I didn't have one in the moment. Well, what ended up happening was, you know, and my cinematographer is amazing. Love them, love them, love them. But actually another amazing cinematographer just so happened to show up, just so happened to be available. And he used to be on the production team for Anthony Bourdain. And he's like, sure, I'll come out and film with you guys. And it was like, that has just been kind of this journey of like, when you're committed to something, not attached, but committed to something, you know, you, you have these obstacles. It's life, right? Life will throw you challenges and obstacles. It's what do you do with them? How do you choose to respond? Do you respond or react? Now, to be candid, I sometimes still react, right? And, um, but it's like, okay, pause. Maybe there's something better. Maybe there's something else that's meant to happen here. And mm-hmm. it's just, that has been like the evolution of the making of this film. It's like, you can't make this shit up. You know, and it just ended up being like the perfect thing that happened at that time. Extraordinary. And I can attest to that same synchronicity in my life. Um, and it was it was an amazing thing. That's how we got here to Santa Barbara. Uh, you know, I, I lost my job uh, at a radio station in Phoenix because it was sold and the owners weren't keeping any of the old staff. And uh, my wife quit her job the day after my last day. And uh, it was because of a hostile work environment. And we're sitting there uh, watching TV and she comes, sits next to me and she says, I'm scared. She says, I feel like we're on the edge of a precipice. Well, another definition would be of a cliff. And I have always been taught through every book I've read, every interview that I've done with people, every workshop and uh, uh, personal growth program I've been through. The one message that came through to me was this. When you come to the edge of, the, of a cliff, a la Thelma and Louise, <laughs> you jump and you trust. And that's what we did. And I try to remi- remind myself of that as certain challenges come up in my life. The universe has got my back. I just have to trust. I have to jump and I have to trust. And then sometimes I have to do things that the universe is asking me to do that seem contrary to my plans. To my plans. No, no, I, I can't, no, no, that's kind of, I don't want to do that because that, I, that, that creates... And then I go ahead and say, all right, okay, I'll acquiesce and I'll do it. And it turns out that if I hadn't done it, things would have been a whole lot worse. And so I think what you're talking about is so important, this whole aspect of synchronicity. Now, here's an interesting question for you. Was the Boston Marathon, was again, 2013, was that your first Boston Marathon? Yes. And what was it that made you want to run in that marathon specifically? I wasn't running. I was a spectator. Oh, I beg your pardon. I, I apologize. So you had never been to one. This was your first one watching. Yes. And why, why did you want to go to the Boston Marathon and watch it? To be honest with you, I didn't. Um, 
I was actually, I was helping a friend, a dear friend of mine's son was running for the first time and she doesn't know her way around the city. So she's like, Hey, will you come with me? Because I know you can, you know, you can help me get to the finish line and we can see, you know, her son. And I said, sure. I was doing it for a friend. Mm -hmm. Richard, my idea of running is behind a white ball, a soccer ball, softball, volleyball. (laughs) Long distance running is not in my vocabulary. Mine either. Mine either. So I had no desire. And, you know, I I grew up playing team sports and I have, but now I have such an appreciation for, for, for what those people, you know, train for and run for. And I will tell you, here's the thing. I went there, literally, I went there for a friend, but when we, we decided to make a day of it and we started to, we went um, a mile from the start line. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing the first runners come by and they were the disabled runners. Okay. And I was in awe. Being an athlete, I was in awe. I saw men and women, some were blind, some were in one or two prosthetic legs, Mm. right? Um, I was just simply in awe. I'm like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. I was so moved that I actually had tears in my eyes. I was Mm. actually inspired. And so believe it or not, I didn't, I, I literally went for a friend, but little did I know that I'd be inspired by that. I still had no desire to run it ever. Right. Um, but little did I know that embarking on walking it in 2014 and then going back and, and finishing it in 2017 was a pivotal moment. Both of them were pivotal moments in my healing journey and helped me come full circle. Jennifer Kaufman's our guest, and I have another question in that same line there, but I'm going to hold that for just a moment to remind you that you're listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and you know you can hear these podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and a bunch of other places on the Internet where you can uh, listen to them, but you can watch them too. We have a YouTube, YouTube channel. It's called Tell Me Your Story. There's a guy with a hat. That's what you look for, as well as the banner, the Decade of Perfect Vision. And uh, so hope that, hope that you will uh, uh, take the time to uh, listen to or watch. I can tell you right now, I'm up to a whopping 45 subscribers. To me, that's pretty exciting. Uh, we're over 52, almost 53,000 listens in four years, in less than four years on uh, SoundCloud and the other outlets. And I am thrilled to death that folks are listening and reposting the interviews. And uh, I, I couldn't thank you enough. I want to ask you, Jennifer, Jennifer Kaufman, who is sharing with us a movie. I hope that you folks will uh, go see and go see it online. You can see it online. It's called There's Got to Be More to Life. Transforming trauma through uh, transforming trauma. That's actually through trauma, transforming to through trauma from survival to uh, uh, thrival from surviving to thriving. I, I apologize for that. And you can go to the website. There's so much to remember. Movies.influencer.me and the influencer is I-N-F-L-U-E-N-C-R and the E actually should be somewhere else, I think, but we won't talk about that. I want to <laughs> ask you, Jennifer, you may, we talk on this program about giving people choices and knowledge of those choices to help make their dreams come true. I personally believe I don't care what your situation is. You always have a choice. Have you ever looked back at the choice you made and 
questioned, what was I thinking? I didn't want to go in the first place. And was that maybe your intuition talking to you and you weren't really listening to it? Yes, yes, yes. I woke up that morning feeling very unsettled and I didn't understand why. But I made a commitment to my friend and I wasn't going to give up on that commitment. That's the truth. But I don't have any regret, actually. You know, okay, looking good. back on it, um, it, it was my path. It was the experience I was meant to, to go through and live through um, and frankly got me to where I am today. Now, I'll say, Richard, if you had, would say to me that I would, A, be 15 feet from the first of two explosions, live through that, and actually rise up from that horrific experience, and it was horrific, and then go on, do not just one but two marathons, uh, albeit the first one I didn't finish because I, I didn't have the strength to do that. And then where it led me next, I, I honestly pitch me now, you know, like I got an opportunity to, to be in Jack Canfield's book, you know, Mastering the Art of Success and sharing my insights and wisdom of how I rose up from trauma. I've been, you know, producer of two Emmy award-winning mission for good films that help veterans and help veteran causes and nonprofit organizations, right? My life has meaning. It has purpose. And for the first time in my life, I feel fulfilled. Now, here's the thing. I have a lot of accolades. I have a lot of success. And one of the things I want your listeners to understand is that, yes, I had childhood trauma and young adulthood trauma. And I was running from myself. I was running from my trauma, running from myself, trying to escape it candidly, right? And so I would have all these ambitious goals and some of them I achieved, some of them I didn't yet, right? And when I would reach those goals, I would have momentary, um, you know, uh, happiness, momentary, like, but it never lasted. And mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't understand why. Because I wasn't fulfilled. I wasn't, I hadn't dealt with my past trauma um, and actually worked through it and get to a place where I was, you know, I was okay with me. All of me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's an interesting observation. I had a guest on this program who was diagnosed with a form of cancer, stomach cancer, and he had the stomach removed and all this stuff. And I recently, in, in July, late July of this year of 2021, <clears throat> I was taken to the emergency room and I had an emergency gallbladderectomy, if you will. I had a golf ball-sized gallstone and a very infected gallbladder. I learned that the um, metaphor, if you will, of the gallbladder is anger. It has, has to do with anger issues. Yes, physiologically, it's the, the organ that produces the bile that helps to process the food. But that has anger. And I have to tell you, after, after that surgery, every time I would... And I'll just use the metaphor of spilling milk. Every time I would spill milk, the the previous reaction would be, oh no, da, da, da. now I spill milk and it's, <laughs> and I laugh. Okay? It's an instant, and then it's laughter. This gentleman I asked, what's the metaphor for your stomach cancer? And he had never thought of it before. So I ask you, what is the metaphor for the experience of being in 
the Boston Marathon bombing for you? Because it seems to me like, and I don't want to be flippant. Go ahead. Go ahead. It blew me open. Right. So here's the thing. Right. I I lived my life behind a facade and behind um, invisible walls because I didn't want people to know that at age 11, I was sexually assaulted. Right. I had a lot of shame and a lot of, you know, um, you know, guilt around that, even though I was a kid. Right. I didn't ask for that. It just happened. And I had all these things and I didn't know how to deal with it. Now, the, the people that did that to me threatened my life and threatened my family's life. So in that moment, I had to become my very best, you know, act- actress. I couldn't let my family or anyone know about that. So I carried that secret for 20 years. Mm. And then when my dad died suddenly, when I was 30 years old, you know, completely three days after Christmas, we had just reconciled after 10 years of not speaking together. You know, um, it was two and a half months after 9-11 happened. Right. And all of a sudden he dies out of nowhere. And, and it was in the grieving process of my dad that all of these other traumas were actually coming up and I was having flashbacks and I was, I thought I was going crazy, Richard. Right. And I had to work through all of that. So to answer your question, this, this experience blew me open. And I, I, I like to use the, you know, uh, I think it's called Kinsangi. It's, it's, it's in the Japanese culture when something of value breaks, they actually, you know, put it back together with liquid gold. It becomes more valuable. And so mm-hmm. I started to recognize that for me, although the bombings had me feel shattered and broken, I then had the opportunity to put the best pieces of myself back together again and just be my authentic self. I didn't have to hide from, you know, these other traumas that happened in my life. I didn't have to hide behind them. I actually can just own them and speak about them. They don't have the charge that they do anymore. But for me, it was like, it it helped me become myself. I will tell you that uh, from a very early age in this business, and I've been in it for over 40 years, I worked for 15 years for a Christian radio station. This is sort of where I developed this philosophy and why I share my own personal story throughout many of these programs to which an individual who has been following me for 40 years could write an unauthorized autobiography. (laughs) Okay. And that's okay because this is the philosophy. God already knows everything about me, being omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, all right, as, as I perceive. What difference does it make if 8 billion other people know and most of them don't care, they're too busy surviving? To care about little old me. It's almost like what someone told me some years ago when I moved to California and I was upset over the stupidity of people driving. And they would say, Richard, they did not wake up this morning saying, let's get Richard. It's nothing personal. And I have to tell you, I was both gratified and I was hurt. Gratified that it wasn't personal, hurt because they didn't care enough about me to make it personal. (laughs) And I say that tongue in cheek. Um, and, and it's like, when I'm gone, what difference is it going to make anyway? But I'm not going to be gone for another 40 plus years. Uh, I, I hope to keep doing this with people like you 
for the next 40. God, if if, if, if the good Lord in, allows 56, I don't care how, uh, I, I'm hoping to surpass Larry King. I wish I'd had a chance to interview that man before he, he left this earth. Uh, or as Bernie Siegel uh, chastised me when I was talking about his wife who had died, I would say, he, uh, you're, when your wife trans, transitioned, uh, you know, what do you mean transitioned? She didn't transition. She died. What's the problem? Why can't you use the word die? And and I loved that. I absolutely. I say okay. I will use die from now on. So I, I, I love that man. He's been on this program many times. Um, but it's one of those things that that uh, is so fascinating to me because we're so worried about our privacy. And I get it. Okay, for those people who are concerned, I get that. But when you're gone, what difference is it going to make? And besides, I personally believe uh, whatever, what comes around goes around. Karma. You know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And when somebody plays that kind of a game with you or your information or what have you, hey, then what you do is you, uh, you have them declare you dead. You take on a new name by the court and you come alive again and you start over. There's ways of doing this, folks. You know, it's, it's like I've always said, there's always a workaround, Jeff and Jennifer. There's always a workaround. Okay, it's like, you know, you were talking about, uh, you know, this one, uh, what was it, director uh, who you wanted and you couldn't get him. So you got this other director who the the synchronicity is just is phenomenal. Uh, So I believe that there's always a workaround and, you know, there's always plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It just depends upon your willingness to allow that inner voice to speak to you. Do you now listen and follow the promptings more so than you ever did before? Absolutely. And can I do it even more? Yes, but I do. I do listen to the promptings. And also, so here's the thing that I think we, at least I still struggle with from time to time. And I don't want to say struggle, but deal with is that you have this vision, right? And so when we have this vision, we think it's going to play out a certain way. And when it doesn't, right, you know, I sometimes go, well, hold on, this is a play, but but I have to reframe it. Every time there's a pivot or every time there's a challenge, I go, oh, right, the best is yet to come. Mm. It may not look the way I thought it was going to look. It may not, you know, and all of that. But when I can go, right, the universe has my back. They've got my best interest. So something even better is coming down the pike. I might not know what it is yet. And I get, and I just like, ah. Yeah. Right? It's just like, there's just like this. Now, in the beginning, I'm like, you know, I might be all worked up for a moment. And then I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, right. I forgot. The universe has my back. <laughs> and this is, for me, this is actually, so this is actually a really pivotal point, Richard. I did not get this until the bombings happened, that life was happening for me, not to me. I was 42 mm. when that happened. I mm. probably understood that lesson when I was 44. Oh, right. Life is happening for me, not to me. I'm not being punished. You know, I'm not, you know, these things didn't happen in my life because I'm a bad person. You know, I just, they just happen. And, and now, you know, I have the ability by my own choice and free will to rise up from it or not. I choose. Am I surviving or thriving? It's a choice, folks, and it's a way of being. So are you thriving or surviving? I am thriving. I am thriving, right? And because thriving to me is doing what I love to do. Mm-hmm. Thriving for me is, 
you know, but I want to be clear, thriving has its own definition, right? So what's thriving to you? Thriving to me is being able to live the life that I want to live, how I choose to live it, doing what I love to do, surrounded by the people I want to be around. It, that's what it means for me. And it's like, you know, do I wake up, you know, am I on purpose? Do I feel fulfilled? Am I making a difference in the world? Mm-hmm. For me, that's part of thriving. You know, I get excited about being on shows like this with you, Richard, now. But, but to be honest with you, the thought of coming out and talking about healing the terrorist within me, that's pretty, pretty audacious. That's pretty bold. But that's the truth. That was my journey. You know, you, it's interesting that you, you put it that way because, <clears throat> and, I, and I do understand it. I do understand where you're coming from when you say uh, healing the terrorist within me. Because we all kind of have that. I, I'm not a fan of the phrase, although I've never understood how in the world after 9-11 they came up with the f- war on terror. So we're fighting against an emotion, are we? Terrorism, not terror. I, I, I'm a person who likes grammatically correct attack phrases. It's a war on terrorism, not terror. I mean, good grief. If that's the case, then we're going to go after uh, 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 Freddy Krueger and uh, uh, that clown, whatever his name is, and blah, 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 blah. But one of the things that, that I, I have noticed, and I've actually had to come to grips with this myself, <clears throat> there's a biblical passage that says, be ye perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And I wondered about that. And I thought about it, and I did some research on it, and went back to the Old Testament, and da-da-da-da-da-da. And what I found was that perfection has nothing to do with doing. It all has to do with nothing more than being. Just being. That's all you have to do to be perfect. Because that's the way God is, if you will. And again, I just use that term because most people know it. Just be who you are. Just be. And then the other part of it is that, again, using the Christian philosophy and that model um, of of the pre and post sacrifice. Okay. Obviously, the father who created us, okay, in the context, obviously saw some value in us to set up a sacrifice. Okay. We had to have been priceless before the sacrifice, which means that after the sacrifice, if it's possible to be more than priceless, that's what we became. Now, what father would throw his children out if they did not do exactly as, you know, this group and that group and the other group says you have to behave and do and be and act and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I think that my parents, obviously, they would, they would let, I mean, let's just say I was an addict. There's going to come a point of tough love saying, no, nah, you can't come back until you get your stuff together. And I understand that. That doesn't mean that they don't still love me. But until I get my act together, they are not going to commune with me in the same way that they used to. And, and that's one of the things that has always thrown me about this whole, I call it a dichotomy uh, uh, within religion, within uh, specifically the, the Christian philosophy, as I like to call them philosophies, is, you know, either, either you're with the in crowd or you're not. And I always thought that the church in particular was for the sinner, not the saint. 
And yet, in the 80s and early 90s, with all of the televangelistic crap that was going on, and boy, I sadly remember it. It's like it's one of those things, once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. Like Jimmy Swaggart crying because I have sinned against God. And it's like, well, uh, I told you five years ago that you're going to get caught in the very thing you rail against. And he constantly railed against sexual immorality. And he got caught in sexual immorality. And so did the Bakers. Uh, and the list goes on. And so, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where either we are or we aren't accepted and loved and nurtured by the universe. Either we are or we aren't. It's, it's, and I say we are all the time. And I take, per, I take responsibility for my life and the way that it is now and the choices that I've made in the past and the choices that I'll make that'll put me wherever it is that I'll be in the future. In the future. And I'll stand before God and say that. Hey, I did the best I could with what you gave me. If that's not good enough, I, yeah, I'm going where you want me to go anyway. So there's nothing I can do or say anyway, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Your thoughts on all of that? So I think, you know what I think, Richard? I think it's all teaching us how to love. Yeah. Right? At the end of the day, that's what it's about. It's about teaching us how to love and accept ourselves. And when we can do that, then we have more love and appreciation to give to others, right? So the, the dichotomy, as you talk, talk about it, right? So, you know, my inner critic ended up being a terrorist. And it took an act of terrorism for me to see and become aware that the terrorist lived inside me. It didn't manifest on that day. It had been harboring. It just came to the surface and got recognized after that experience. So you talk about that, right? Like, you know, I've come to understand life is a mirror. And if you don't like the way your life is, look in the mirror because you are responsible for it and you have the power to change it. Now, let's be clear. In hindsight, I wish I hadn't had to go through that experience, mm -hmm. but I did. And I learned from it, right? And it woke me up. It got me to see. I was a loving person to other people, but boy, I looked in the mirror and I was like, who's that person? Like I cut myself down. I was negative. My self-talk was awful. Mm. Even though I had moments of, of success and stuff. And it was just, you know, I, this experience taught me how to love myself in ways I never had before. And to teach and to actually show compassion for myself when I was struggling. Hmm. Amazing. Well, I'll tell you, it's it's uh, unfortunate or fortunate. I guess it depends upon your perspective. Who's to say whether it's good or bad uh, that we go through some of those challenges. Uh, but the reality is that we have. And I think one of the other lessons, too, in this process that you are describing is not having regrets. What a waste of time and energy to regret, because it's like. Okay, I've got this tapestry and it's my life. And there are all these little threads and I'm going to I'm going to pull those out of there. Because I, you know, I want to get rid of them. I mean, guys, that's what they usually do. Oh, there's a loose thread off. I'll just I'll just pull that out of there. I yank that out of there. And now the shirt isn't as nice as it was. Now the tapestry isn't as nice as it was and it isn't what it was before I pulled on that thread. 
So I kind of put it this way. Okay, let me see if I can figure out. I'll go to the YouTube and I'll see about how to cross-stitch stuff so that I can re-stitch that loose thread in there. Maybe I can't. Maybe I'll just tuck it in so at least it's a little neater. Uh, and then I'll move on because I can't change the past. And that past, all of it, makes me who I am today. Absolutely. And if I pull that thread, then I'm not the person that I... It's kind of like some of those um, time machine movies and programs where a person wants to go back and correct this, that, or the other thing. And then they go back to the, their, their present and everything is different. And then they wonder why. Oh, now we got to go back again and I got to put things back the way they were. But now it's too late because you've already disturbed the tapestry. You've already changed the threads. And, you know, it's like you going into that movie and it's going, here, let's, let's put this piece that we cut out. Let's put that in in place of this piece here. And now the movie isn't what it was. And it doesn't have the impact that it once had. And that's why we need to, we need to so to speak, leave the movie of our lives alone. Don't try to edit it. We can change our perception. And that tell that actually, I think, sort of explains your process. You changed your perception, not only of the event, but also of yourself. Absolutely. And, and, and I, I had to rise up from this good or bad. It's not good. It just is. Right. Like it just is. When we when we when we get into that place of good or bad, we're actually creating judgment. And then that judgment creates separation. Right. And then. That, that just like takes us down this path of struggle. And it's just like accepting what is, we don't have to like it to be clear, but just accepting what is, when we accept what is, we can shift and, and we can actually pivot and go, okay, now what? Right? We actually have power when we do that. But if I judge a situation as good or bad, right? Well, then, then that actually shifts things, right? It just mm -hmm. is. Yeah, yeah. Jennifer Kaufman is my guest. I'm Richard Dugan. This is Tell Me Your Story. We are giving you uh, choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true here on the program where we're looking for those new ways of living. And uh, we hope that you are uh, along for not just the ride, but for the transformation that is taking place. It is happening as we speak. You may not feel it fully, but I can tell you that I, I do feel it. Uh, I feel it in many different areas of my life. I will also give you one quick example here of, of uh, uh, listening to my still small voice. I, um, I, I, I refer to my still small voice as my friend. And I was walking back to the radio station. Uh, I had just gone to Starbucks, yes, and I got my little, my nice iced latte that I love so much. Special recipe that I created. And I come across, I come to the corner uh, uh, of the intersection where the station is, and there's a pawn shop. There's a, a convenience store on one corner. There's a pawn shop on another. There's another building on the other, and da-da-da-da-da. And I've been looking for a computer to be able to do audio and video editing on. I have been looking for months and months, maybe years, several years. The computer that I currently have, a desktop uh, computer, is a Windows XP Circa 2006. Yes, exactly. Fall off of your chair and get back up again. I need, a, I need something. I need something that's better. Uh, especially because the video editing software is not compatible with Windows XP. 
So I'm standing there with my latte and I'm getting ready to go back to the radio station and go inside, go inside, go inside, go inside, go inside. And I'm not ignoring it. I'm just thinking, well, I'm back going back to the radio station, but I got time. It's, I don't have to be back till two and it's 1230. Okay. I got time. So I turn around, I put my mask on and I go in and I start looking at the laptops they have out on display. So I finally go up to one of the people behind the counter. I say, are these the only laptops you have? Any others with wide screens? And he said, well, uh, no, I think we have a Dell back here. And it looks fairly new. I mean, it's got a terabyte of hard drive. It's Windows 10. It's a touch screen. I was amazed. I got my computer. And $300, but we're doing Black Friday right now. And uh, so we're knocking 25% off, $75 off. 225 plus tax 244 not bad i got my i got my computer which i what I, I love about it is that i can hook it up to my larger screen monitor at home so that i have a better view and i can also hook up a wireless mouse and keyboard so actually the the laptop is more of an interface <laughs> than anything else okay but whammo there you go and um I was looking and looking and looking, and I find I, I waited, and I was patient. You know, I wasn't in a big hurry, even though I really was in a hurry, but there's the universe helping to provide that, and it has some other accoutrement on it for uh, doing videos like this. has a built-in camera and all of that good stuff, and now all I have to do is go through the process of, of installing the software that I need, and away we go. So I listened, and I followed the promptings. I wrote this, they, they, I was in a personal growth program that was an outgrowth of EST from the 70s, and this was in the 80s. It was called LifeSpring. And in one of the programs, they wanted us to take this big, wide, long piece of white construction paper and a Sharpie and write down a statement. And my statement was, in cursive at first, I will listen to, and then under that, I wrote in block letters, and follow the promptings of my friend. And I still have that. And I encourage everybody to do the same because it's part of one of the campaigns that we promote here on the program, Jennifer. People getting involved in the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s, where we encourage people to go within where there is perfect vision and listen to that still small voice and just be quiet and calm and relax and listen to the inspiration and the encouragement and the education, the wisdom for them. Do you spend uh, much time doing that? Oh, I do it every day. Every day I do it. And I want to share something with, the, with your viewers and listeners is that it's one thing to listen. The other thing is to trust and act in that wisdom. So I want to share a couple of things with you because... When I was in the hospital, in the ER, right, I actually, the doctors and nurses wanted to admit me. And um, I had that inner voice that said, you've got to learn how to heal naturally, something I did not know how to do. My background's in business. I don't know anything about health other than, you know, other than basic nutrition and health and, and you know, but that was it. Mm -hmm. And I had to, and it's like in that moment, what do I do? Do I listen to the doctors and nurses who believe 
that I need to stay there for additional, you know, tests and all that other stuff, not knowing if I was going to live for the rest of the day candidly. And I'm like, you know, is this really where I want to be if this were my last day? No, absolutely not. But it took courage to listen to that inner voice because I'm like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to heal naturally. I have no, I have no knowledge how to do that. So I thought, but it led me on a path. And by taking that first step, which for me was, you know, discharging myself out of the hospital, even though against all of the experts opinion of what I should do. Well, I'm the expert of me. Mm -hmm. So my intuition was telling me I needed to leave. And I had a choice and boy, it it was more compelling because I had, I had so many other people that were telling me the opposite. So it's having the trust and the courage to listen to your own inner voice people. And when you do life will become easier for you. It doesn't mean you don't have challenges, but life becomes, I, I, I use this phrase, life becomes this magic carpet ride. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I am, I've been taking that magic carpet ride for over 40 years or more. I don't know about you, Jennifer, but I have, a, have in, with everything that has happened in my life, uh, I've always felt like I've been in the right place at the right time. Even when I was involved in a non-injury car accident that totaled our Volvo and we were able to then buy a truck and then in return buy a travel trailer. Even when I uh, totaled a, a Toyota van I was driving and thought I was going to die, and it was a, it was just me, and I ran in, and I did some swerving, da da da. da. Uh, even when I went through my first divorce, uh, even when I got bullied in school, even when I got harassed and uh, lit, was working in a hostile work environment at that one radio station, you know. All of that has created the person that people see now, and I'm I'm a work in progress, as we all are. Me too. <laughs> or as my my song that I have written says, "I'm a good man, doing the best I can. I'm just a good man doing the best I can, and that's all I can do is the best I can, and the best we can do." Yes, go ahead, go ahead. I can see you've got something to say. Well, I just want to say, Richard, what if we have that perspective? Right. So we get we we get triggered. You know, people hurt us in, you know, I don't I don't believe people are malicious. I don't believe people are out to get us. But what if we actually use that perspective of, you know, everybody's just doing the best that they can and have some compassion and some, you know, we don't know what other people are going through. Right. Somebody might react to something because they're having a really bad day or they just found out some really you know challenging news. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What if we all come from we're just simply doing the best that we can and love each other where we're at? Yeah. I don't look at the drivers in California anymore as a bunch of people doing stupid stuff. What I now look at is a bunch of people who are just like me, who are distracted by a lot of different things for right or wrong. They're distracted for a lot of reasons. And they're trying to get from point A to point B and they just forget to do this or they forget that they they forget what's around them their awareness is not sharp and again as you just well stated they're just doing the best they can 
And that diffuses any frustration that I feel because I'm doing the same thing. And who's to say that I haven't made some some uh, 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 moving violations, shall we say? <laughs> I've, you know, I mean, none of us is perfect um, in, in that regard. But we're all, again, we don't want to get into accidents. But, you know, guess what? It happens. It happens. And uh, what we do is we pick up and we get back on that horse, as you mentioned earlier. We just get back up on that horse. This is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, my guest is Jennifer Kaufman, Kaufman, and she is uh, executive. Well, what is it now? You're uh, uh, you're an expert. Uh, you are uh, you are uh, the uh, screenwriter. You're also part of the music editing team of the film, the documentary Oh, there's got to be more to life. Uh, transforming through trauma uh, from surviving to thriving. It's now available on movie.influencer.me. We will be linked. So you don't have to spell it. We'll be linked to the website so that uh, you will be able to go there and uh, uh, purchase a ticket, as it were, and you can watch that movie. I think it'll be uh, inspiring for you. Jennifer, we have run out of time here, but I have three final questions that I love to ask my guests. You may have addressed them during the program, but I like to ask them directly. But I want to thank you for giving us so much time and I hope that you will come back again to talk about part two of uh, There's Got to Be More to Life as well as other projects that you're working on along these same lines uh, for our program Tell Me Your Story New Paradigms for a New World. Thank you so much. Thank you and it would be an honor and privilege to come back and play with you again. Next time I'll, I'll get my vocals ready to do backup singing though in the beginning. Oh perfect. I would love to do a duet. I think that would be a lot of fun. I, uh, I also will pick a different song, though, because there is more to this life and we're finding it and we are thriving uh, in the very best way that we know how. And uh, we hope that you folks are, too, by listening to this program on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., as well as 9 a.m. on Wednesday mornings. That's our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We also hope that you will listen at those times on the stream at richarddugan.com. The podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, iHeart. Amazon Music, and many other locations on the Internet. Uh, and uh, I hope that you will uh, take a listen. But you can also watch these programs on YouTube. The YouTube channel, Tell Me Your Story, and Richard Dugan. Look for the guy with the hat, okay? I'm going to buy a new one here shortly that uh, is uh, a little nicer looking. Um, but uh, nonetheless... I'll still be wearing the hat. And uh, we also hope that uh, if you can support the work that we're doing here financially, we would greatly appreciate that. Uh, we have a PayPal account. It is for your security as well as ours. And uh, when you go there to uh, donate to what we're doing here, uh, any amount is greatly appreciated. They're going to ask you for an email address where to send it. Richard at RichardDugan.com. That's simple. Richard at RichardDugan.com. And then please participate in the Decade of the Perfect Vision 2020s. So and spend time in that quiet, still, quiet, calm, peaceful place listening to that still small voice, which is your intuition, your higher self, the divine self, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it will never, ever put you in harm's way, but it may challenge you as it has me, and it's worth it. I guarantee, as, um, as Jennifer has said, it's going to make your life a miracle. It's just going to, you're going to have a blast on that magic carpet ride. With all of that being said, Jennifer, the first of the three final questions on this program anyway, who is Jennifer Kaufman? I am, uh, who is Jennifer Kaufman? I'm somebody who inspires impossible transformation. 
What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? I want to help humanity rise up from adversity and trauma in life and empower them to see that they can thrive no matter what. And finally, what is your life's purpose? To teach what I've learned from my experiences and to help more people rise up and thrive in the world. And once again, we are so glad that you are healed from your experiences of eight years ago and uh, hope that you never have an experience like that, but also knowing how to work through those kinds of challenges in your life, as you have shared with us on how we can do the same. And again, thank you so much. Thank you. And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lol.